Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you would, get your Bibles out and open it up to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 6. Mark, the sixth chapter, is where we're going to begin momentarily. Going to read uh, just one verse there, and really just going to notice one word in that one verse, and that'll serve as the springboard for our thoughts this evening as we open up the Word of God, Mark chapter 6. It is great to see everybody tonight, and I appreciate you uh, making and availing yourself of the opportunity to be involved in spiritual things once again on this first day of the week. I hope that your afternoon has been uh, pleasant and enjoyable and that you are uh, well-rested and wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to spend these next few minutes in God's Word. Let's read together in Mark chapter 6. Would you notice with me, please, the first part of this verse in Mark chapter 6 as Jesus is being described here as being rejected by the people in his hometown of Nazareth, notice that the people said this in Mark 6 and in verse 3. Mark 6 verse 3, they said, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Do you see that word carpenter? That is the Greek word tekton, T-E-K-T-O-N, And it is where our English word technology is derived from. Wow. Did you ever think you'd see Jesus and technology in the same sentence in the Bible? You might actually be surprised right now just to even learn that technology is even in the Bible at all. But right there, there it is. In fact, while the technology of first century times looked and operated quite a bit differently than our modern gadgets and doohickeys and thingamabobs, the fact of the matter is technology is all over the Bible. I'm thinking, for example, about the bricks and the mortar and the materials that were used in Genesis chapter 11 to construct that amazing tower, the Tower of Babel. That was pretty innovative stuff at the time. Or I'm thinking about some of the weaponry that existed when you're reading in the book of Samuel and Chronicles and King. For example, in 2 Chronicles 26 and verse 15, there's mention of some of the weaponry that existed during the time of King Uzziah. There was this catapult system that was able to launch giant rocks into the air and propel them far, long distances. That was pretty revolutionary stuff. Every society in every generation has had its share of technical innovations, things that are designed to make life easier, smoother, quicker, simpler, or better. And that is especially true of this generation that you and I are living in right now, what is sometimes referred to as the digital age. In the last 25 years or so, there have been just so many changes in technology. I really don't need to stand up here and give you a complete history lesson about all of that because the fact that many of us right now have what is essentially a supercomputer in our pockets, that ought to tell you just how far we have come. Whether it's email or FaceTime or GPS navigation systems or any other kind of device or doohickey that involves a screen... Technology is really just woven into the fabric of our daily lives for better or for worse. Which brings me back to the beginning, this idea of Jesus and technology. You know, Jesus, just by his trade, he would have understood the importance of technology, being a carpenter in his line of work. 
I think Jesus understood some things about technology. The tools that he used to do his job, those were forms of technology. The very fact that Jesus was a carpenter, that in and of itself implies that he was a creator of sorts. And that's kind of built in to the definition of the word technology. But maybe what I'm really most curious about and what I'd like to hope that you are most interested in is how Jesus views technology in relation to the church. Of course, Jesus built the church. It belongs to Him, Matthew 16 says. He paid for it with His own blood, Paul says in Acts chapter 20. The question is, how does Jesus feel? about the proliferation of all the technical gadgetry that exists in our world and how that is being stitched into the worship and the work of His church. Is there a place for that? Is Jesus okay with that? I must tell you, if the answer to that is just a flat-out no, if somebody's going to say, nope, technology and church, they just can't go together, if somebody's going to say no to that, Well, then these lights that are shining on me right now, and this microphone that I'm speaking into, and this camera that I'm looking at, and this air-conditioned room that I am standing in right now, all of that, well, all of that's going to put me and it's going to put you in a lot of trouble with the Lord, isn't it? What is the Lord's verdict on this blending together of technology and the church? And the reason that I'm interested to know what the Lord thinks about that is because if you go around and start asking individual people, individual Christians, well, you're just going to get a smorgasbord of different answers and different opinions. This is a very polarizing subject. Why some folks are just absolutely opposed and aghast and averse to all of this technology business proliferating itself into the church. I mean, come on. What's this business with digital Bibles? Reading the Bible on a tablet. Or on a smartphone. Come on! I can't believe this. If a paper Bible was good for my grandpappy, it's good enough for me. Then, of course, at the other extreme of all of that are folks who are just tech crazy. These are the folks who are always looking for some new techie kind of thing that can be incorporated into the church to make things sleeker or faster or cooler or hipper. I mean, come on, who needs to listen to Josh stand up there and preach when we can project a hologram into the pulpit of the Apostle Paul preaching? Wow, that'd be cool. You see, there's all kinds of ideas and opinions about how technology ought to intersect with the church. Which is why this evening, I'm not interested in the opinions. I'm not interested in your opinion. And I don't want you to be interested in my opinion about that. I want us to cut straight to the one who has the final say on everything. What does the Lord think about all of this stuff? How does His book govern our thinking in these matters? Well, this evening what I want to do is I want to set before you three important principles right out of Scripture that I hope will provide us with a very fair and balanced approach to us being the church even in a digital age. And it really doesn't matter where you fall on that spectrum, whether you're over here at this category or you're over on the other end of this category or somewhere in between. I really think I'm going to talk about things in a way that's going to, going to kind of hit all of us and our attitude about that. Three truths that really need to shape our attitude about the role that technology plays in Christ's church here in 2020 and even beyond. 
Let me start first of all by saying to those of you who tend to just get chalkboard chills up and down your spine anytime you hear the word Facebook or texting or any of those other buzzwords that are just commonplace in the digital age, I want to remind you first of all, number one, that God is not opposed to technology. God is the one who in fact invented the ultimate piece of technology. In fact, it is sitting right on the top of your neck right now, the human brain. The most advanced piece of technology that has ever been created. And it is the human brain. And it is the wonder of the human brain that has led to the invention of all of these other things that we enjoy in our world and that do make our life enjoyable and more comfortable and faster and easier and all these things. God is not opposed to technology. In fact, some of His most faithful servants throughout history have used technology. And God has been totally okay with that. Look, for example, with me in the Old Testament. Look in 1 Kings. In 1 Kings chapter 5, as you read here about the construction of the temple, and I want you to notice that the temple, it was not just slapped together in some sort of a haphazard way. Okay, we gotta, gotta build some kind of a building for the Lord. Okay, we'll just, just throw it all together in some kind of a shack. No, that's not how that happened. The very latest of technology was being utilized in order to very skillfully build the house of the Lord. Like, for example, in 1 Kings chapter 5, look in verse 9. There's all these timbers and lumbers of cedar and cypress that needed to be transported to Solomon and where the temple was going to be. Look in 1 Kings chapter 5 and in verse 9. There he's told, My servants shall bring it down to the sea from Lebanon. And I will make it into rafts to go by the sea to the place that you direct. And I'll have them broken up there. You, you think about that. They devised a water transportation system to be able to get that lumber down to its desired location. Look at the very next chapter in chapter 6 regarding some of the rock and the stone and the, you know, the precious rocks that would have been used for the temple. All of those latest tools were being used once again. The end of verse 7 makes mention of some of those tools so that those rocks could then be hewn and they could be cut and they could be prepared. Look at the first part of verse 7. At a quarry. That in and of itself was a very high-end technical sort of operation. Solomon did not say, eh, We don't need none of that fancy technology to build this building, to build this house for the Lord. God will be happy with whatever we make Him, however we make that. No! Solomon wanted to use the best that was available at the time. Didn't want to just do it the old-fashioned way. No, he wanted to do it the best way. And technology helped him to do that. Solomon used those resources and the end verdict was, the Lord was pleased. He was pleased with that final product. What about the New Testament? In the New Testament, think about Paul, Peter, and John. What did they write? They wrote epistles. That was email before the E stood for electronic. They wrote those letters and they sent them using the Roman mail system. It was the most advanced of its kind at the time to be able to communicate with Christians all over the Roman Empire. And then, of course, think about Jesus. Jesus did use technology, not just as a carpenter, but He used technology even during His earthly ministry. Jesus got, for example, into sailboats in order to travel from one side of the Sea of Galilee 
over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. You say what you will, we might think about sailboats and think, ah, that's not really all that innovative, but, but it is a form of technology. You just have to imagine the day that the very first sailboat was invented. Some old timer was probably standing on the side of the shore and he was waving his fist in the air saying, you young whippersnappers, you're going to drown out there in the middle of the water. God gave us legs, so I'm just going to walk. Now again, we may not view and think of any of that technology in the Bible as seeming all that advanced to us today. Again, we've got thousands of years that have elapsed and lots of newer technology that's come along. I mean, our technology is so much more state-of-the-art, so much more sophisticated. But we need to remember that God invented the brain, and the brain invented the technology, and people have always been using technology that was available to them, and God finds nothing evil about technology in and of itself. Now, I understand, and this is where I'm going to put the... Obvious caveat. I understand that technology can be used for evil. We've certainly seen more and more of that in recent decades, haven't we? With the advent of the internet and social media and online pornography and things of that nature. And maybe that is the reason that there are some folks, some Christians who are just kind of immediately skeptical. They just immediately get defensive anytime anything is brought up about technology and introducing that into the worship or the work of the church. And we do always want to be on guard for that. In fact, Paul says so. Look in 2 Corinthians 2. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says you don't ever want to drop your defenses about, about anything. You need to always be on the alert, the alert. And why is that? 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11 You need to do that so that you'll not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs or devices or schemes, depending upon your translation. The devil is very capable of taking something that can be a good thing and then twisting it for his evil purposes. And that is especially true whenever we're talking about technology. Think about it. The very same device that enables me to shoot a text of encouragement to a brother or a sister on the other side of town or in another county or in another state in like 5.2 seconds is also the very same device that enables me to view pornographic material in just about the same amount of time. And so I do understand that we need to be careful And we need to be making sure that technology is not leading us into something that is sinful or something that would be outside of the pattern of New Testament Christianity. But you know what? I also understand that just because some people abuse technology, that does not mean that we have to become Luddites. Do you know what a Luddite is? A Luddite is a person who is suspicious and afraid of technology just like that. There is this perception, I think, that the world has of Christians that if you do become a Christian, if you become a part of the Lord's church, that the moment that you are baptized into Christ, that what happens is is you have to turn your smartphone in, you have to get rid of all of your technology and all of your electronics, and you then have to start wearing sandals and carrying around a scroll. And you know what? Sometimes it is our anti-technology brethren who are kind of sort of the cause of that misconception in people's minds. I know of a church 
that banned the use of electronic Bibles in their assembly. Nobody allowed to use, not on your phone, not on tablet, not allowed to use an electronic Bible in the assembly. Now, I'm sure they had reasons for that, but it does make me wonder, what kind of message would that maybe send to an outsider? Somebody who maybe was coming and visiting that assembly for the very first time. Hey, you got an electronic Bible? Can't be using that in here. Makes you wonder what kind of a message that maybe would even send to young people in that congregation. I remember just a few years ago, there was some pockets of resistance. It wasn't like a complete civil war. But there was some pockets of resistance to the idea of us singing songs off of the screen. Now, we don't need that. We don't need all this digital hymnal. Don't need none of this projecting stuff on the screen and singing off of that. We've got those paper hymnals we can sing out of, don't you know? Can I just ask? Why is there always immediate resistance to those sorts of things? Why is that such a problem? Is it violating some command or some principle in Scripture? Or is it maybe just the fact that, well, it's new and it's different to me? And it's not what I'm accustomed to, and really I'm just not all that comfortable with it. Listen, if you're uncomfortable with technology, you're uncomfortable with owning a smartphone and all the things that it can do, if you think that you're able to live your life without technology and you're completely fine with that, although I would question whether you're actually able to live your entire life without technology, I don't think anybody walked to church this evening, did they? I think all of us drove those technological things out there in the parking lot that are made of metal. But still, if singing off the screen or reading scripture out of a digital Bible, if that's, if that just doesn't, you know, it doesn't float your boat and that's not your cup of tea, hey, that's totally okay. That's totally fine. And if you never change your mind about that, it's still okay. But I want to caution you, don't go pushing that on everybody else. Don't go pushing that on the church as if somehow God feels that way. Don't let your personal feelings about technology bleed over to where you've convinced yourself and maybe you're even trying to convince others that technology and Christianity cannot coexist. Because the fact of the matter is, they can coexist. And that is truth number two. And that is that you and I, we need to figure out, we need to figure out how to leverage technology for the advancement of the kingdom of God. You know, for many of us in this room and folks that might be watching at home, we, we are comfortable with technology. We use it all the time. Many of us, we have a router and internet connection and a Wi-Fi set up in our home. We maybe have a personal Facebook page that we use to keep up with people and stay in touch with friends. We text on a regular basis because, well, because that's the only way you can talk to your children these days. We are familiar with how to operate a personal computer because, well, maybe school requires us to know how to do that or our job requires us to know how to do that. And so for a lot of us, we are really, really comfortable with technology. But here's my question. How am I using all of that technology that I am so comfortable with, how am I using that for the Lord? How am I using that to promote the cause of Christ in advancing the kingdom of King Jesus? You think about it. We download all these apps onto our phone. We follow all kinds of people on Twitter. We pin all kinds of recipes on Pinterest. We post all kinds of pictures on Instagram. We share all kinds of links and memes on Facebook. 
When are we going to harness all of that electronic horsepower for Jesus and for His church? You stop and imagine. Stop and imagine, what would the Apostle Paul say if you showed him your smartphone and you began to explain to him all of the things that it could do, all of the capabilities that it possessed, all of the features that are built into it, how things are so easy and accessible and you can reach this person, you contact this person, you call people and you can video people. Can you picture in your mind Paul looking at that? As you're showing and explaining it to him? And that maybe there would just be like a sparkle or a twinkle, a gleam in his eye as you begin to explain all of that to him? As he begins to think about the possibilities of connecting with people, communicating with people all over the world with just the simple push of a button? i got to tell you, I really don't think Paul would be all that interested in how you can play Minecraft on your phone or the really high score that you got on Candy Crush. I think Paul would be interested in, hey, how can we use that thing to share the gospel with people? In fact, there are places in Scripture where I think Paul, it just seems like, man, if somebody could have got him a smartphone right then and right there, he would have been so thankful. Look, for example, in 2 Corinthians 2. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, there are places where Paul kind of encounters problems and, man, solutions would have been readily answered and available for him if he'd have had some of the technology that we do today, like for example in 2 Corinthians 2. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and in verse 12, Paul says there, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest. I was troubled. Why? Because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and I went on to Macedonia. Paul says, I, I didn't know where Titus was. I didn't know what was going on with him. Maybe he was in trouble. I needed an update. I needed a report because I didn't know how to get a hold of him. But today, you and I just pull our phone out. Hey, scroll through. Titus, yeah, here we go. I'm going to call him right now. Piece of cake for us. Just get a hold of him. Hey, Titus, how you doing? Where are you at? What's going on? Paul, I think, would envy our ability to be able to contact one another, to keep in touch with one another, our ability to broadcast the message of the gospel virtually anywhere, quickly, easily, efficiently. And he probably would ask us, he probably would ask us, what are you doing with all of that? What are you doing with all those capabilities? Tell me you are doing more with that technology than just watching funny cat videos and just watching the scoreboard on ESPN.com. Hopefully you are using that for Jesus, I think Paul would say. And I do believe that we as a congregation here at Lakeside, we've tried to do that. We've tried to make use of technology for the benefit of the kingdom, for the benefit of this local church for the benefit of the community and the world that is around us. We've got that email distribution list. Everybody in the congregation who's got an email uh, address is on that. And we share information with each other regularly through the week. We've got an app created for the church. And you've got easy, quick access to the addresses, physical addresses of folks. You're out driving around and you don't know the address to Brother So-and-So's house. Boom! Push of a button. There you know how to get there. All kinds of things that have helped us in that regard to remain connected throughout the week. 
We've got a website, of course. We've got a Facebook page. And those things help let people know who we are and what we're all about and how to contact us and when they can come and worship with us. We provide spiritual content on those platforms on a daily basis in some form or another. We've got a podcast. I've had a podcast now for almost seven years. That podcast has over 115,000 downloads. It averages nearly 18,000 downloads Every single year. A few months ago, of course, almost out of necessity, we launched a YouTube channel where our sermons and our Bible class lessons, they are streamed in video format. So not only are we making use of audio technology, making use of video technology. And I think all of those mediums have been helpful. They've been successful. Think about in the last few months how technology has really helped us out in our worship services as we've had to assemble outside for the first several weeks. Got that FM transmitter set up. Got the speaker set up. The microphone system. All of that. It's just been wonderful. I've been thankful to God that those things have been available to us. We have people all over this county, all over this state, all over this country, even throughout the entire world, who make use of the materials that we provide through the internet and through our podcast and through those sorts of mediums, I regularly get messages and emails, sometimes from people I have never even met before, but people who feel like they know me from listening to lessons that I've preached, and they send those emails and they send those messages to say, thank you guys. Thank you all for providing those things to us. I've made use of them. I've shared them with other folks. Our congregation has benefited from those things. And that's wonderful. I think about what Jesus said in Mark chapter 16. In Mark chapter 16, when He spoke to His disciples in the Great Commission, He said to them in Mark chapter 16 and in verse 15, He said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. I, I have never physically left the continental United States. I've been around parts of our country But I've never been outside of this country, physically. But through the power of technology, this church has sent me into all the world. And as a result, the gospel has radiated out from this place, from 500 Ritchie Lane, the gospel has gone forth. And that's not even to mention how the gospel has gone forth in other ways as well through technology. This church, for example, supports my dad to be able to go and board an airplane, which is some pretty high-tech machinery, and travel to far-off countries several times each year to preach and teach the gospel. And even these last few months through the pandemic, with air travel being hindered and lots of restrictions on that right now, my dad has still been able to make use of technologies like Zoom and Skype and some of those sorts of things to be able to conduct Bible classes multiple times a week with brothers and sisters and people all over the world. And it's amazing. And we want to keep doing those things. In fact, I believe that there are even some of those technologies that we could exploit even more. And there probably are some technologies that we just haven't even begun to tap into and to see the potential in them. We want to do that. We want to explore those things. Why? For the furtherance of the kingdom, for the advancement of the gospel. There's just a world of possibilities there. I know that there are, I know that there are many people here who just on an individual basis as well have used technology in order to benefit and grow the kingdom benefit other Christians, to benefit people that they know. 
Uh, Many of our ladies here have made use of of the Meal Train app and website to be able to organize meals efficiently and in a helpful way for those who are sick and for those who have lost loved ones and those sorts of things. I know of a brother here in the congregation. He has an app on his phone. It's like a notepad app. And every time he learns of some brother or some sister or some other kind of a prayer need, he pulls that thing out and he starts jotting down. He keeps a prayer list on his phone. Pulls that out when it's time to pray so he can pray the names of those people in those specific things. That's amazing. There are people here who use their Facebook page regularly to share Scripture. Or they share the links to the sermons every Sunday or the Wednesday night Bible class. They use their Facebook page to invite people to services and to come to gospel meetings. You know, when Jesus talks in Matthew chapter 5 about being the salt of the earth and the light of the world, He didn't specify exactly how you're to do that. He didn't say, now you be the light of the world by doing this. You be the salt of the earth by doing this specifically. No, He he left it kind of open-ended, didn't He? And so one of the ways that we can then spread and share our influence for the kingdom, I believe, is through the use and through the medium of technology. I'll say again, I do realize there's a lot of people in our world who have misused technology. There are even churches and there are Christians who have misused technology as a tool for Satan. But you and I, you and I can use it as a tool for Christ. In fact, let me take that a step further. Not only can we use technology as a tool for Christ, I believe we must use it. Look with me in Luke chapter 16, please. In Luke 16, I believe Jesus shows us that we have an obligation to make use of the tools that are around us in order to advance His kingdom. In Luke chapter 16, I'm not going to read this entire parable. I'm going to hope that you're somewhat familiar with it. It starts in verse 1. Jesus tells the parable here of the dishonest manager. And this parable always does seem to puzzle folks because it kind of sounds like Jesus is complimenting a bad guy. Well, I'm not convinced that Jesus is complimenting this guy for his sin, for his dishonesty. But he is complimenting him for something else. Would you just look at the summary? In Luke 16 and in verse 8, Jesus says this. He says in verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Some translations, I think, say, because he was wise. For the sons of this world... Here's the statement Jesus makes. He says, the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. you see the moral of that story? Jesus says that sometimes the ungodly and worldly people who are around us Sometimes they are better and they are more creative and they are more effective in how they spread the devil's message than how God's people are with spreading His message. Jesus says we need to do better than that. Jesus says we need to open up our eyes. We need to see that, you know what? There may be better ways of doing things. There may be more effective ways of reaching people, the people of our generation, with the message of the cross. Maybe we've been using some methods that we've been using for decades and decades now, and while they may not be wrong and they may still have some measure of success, maybe we need to rethink those things. And maybe some of the technologies that are available in our time, maybe those are the channels in which we need to get the word out. The fact is, 
I believe there needs to be some measure of flexibility, some adaptability on our part to use the technology that this generation is familiar with so that we can then share them that same old message, that same old Jerusalem gospel that's been preached for the past 2,000 years. You know, if God has blessed us with all of this amazing ingenuity to be able to come up with all of this amazing technology and it can do all this amazing stuff, then I think being a good steward, probably could have made a whole separate point about stewardship, but I think being a good steward demands that you and I figure out how to use those tools for the upbuilding of the kingdom and for the glory of the Lord. Now, that's the first two points in this sermon. And that's the part of the lesson that is really kind of easy for me to talk about and to say. Here now is point number three, and this is the point of the lesson that I have dreaded having to preach. And this may be the point of the lesson that there are some folks who may just absolutely dread and squirm hearing me say these things. You know, there is some measure of irony in the fact that this lesson is being broadcast and live streamed right now into people's homes using some incredibly sophisticated technology that I can't even begin to explain how it works. And I will tell you that in the beginning of this pandemic, when there was a lot of uncertainty, and there was a lot of fear, and there was just a lot of things that we just didn't know yet, this format of being able to preach and to communicate and deliver the Word, it was very beneficial. I'm so thankful for it, and still am thankful for it. I think even to some degree, it'll still serve as a useful and helpful and good tool. But I need to say something right now that has been a concern for me, not just recently, it's been a concern for me since day one. But I need to state it clearly right here and right now. Technology really helps us in a lot of ways to be able to carry out the mission of the church, what God has entrusted His people to do. And I want to say in no uncertain terms that it is not and it never will be a substitute for the assembled body of Christ. I heard someone ask the question recently, and they weren't asking it about any particular congregation that I was aware of. I think they were just kind of asking this in a general sort of sense. They asked the question, will technology kill the church? And the answer to that question is, no. Technology is not going to kill the church. Nothing will kill the church. Not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. Matthew 16, verse 18. But having said that, technology, I believe, it will. It will kill some individual Christians walk with the Lord. And it may serve to disrupt and damage the relationships that exist in a local church. You know, let me use this illustration and maybe this will help kind of segue into some of the passages I want us to think about as we conclude. Watching a sermon at home and taking part maybe in a Bible class from home benefits that, good things about that, there's some positives about that, certainly would be some cases where it would be absolutely necessary for people to be able to watch and participate in those ways. But it's not going to be the same as being together in person to do all of that. When I go to the movie theater, 
I take my family to go to the movie theater. I'm in that movie theater with a, a lot of other people. There's lots of other people who are watching what's up on the screen. And we're in this dark room, and I really can't see them, but I know that they're there, and they're watching it with me. But when I get up and I leave, I must tell you, there's not really any sense of connection between me and the people who were there in that movie theater. I don't know those people. There may have been somebody in that movie theater who recently their husband left them for another woman. But I don't know about that. They just happened to be there at the same time that I was there. There may be somebody in that movie theater who's struggling with some kind of terrible, addictive sin. But again, I don't know anything about that. In fact, there's a sense in which I don't even care about that. Why? Because, because I don't even know the person. I don't even know what's going on with them. I don't even know anything about them. Do you understand why there is such a gap and there is such a difference between the concept of watching church from home as opposed to being together. When we are together, some amazing and critical things take place that really just cannot take place otherwise. There are so many, more than a dozen, one another passages in the New Testament. Do you know about those one another passages? I jotted some of them down on a piece of paper here. For example, in Romans chapter 12 and in verse 10, we are told to love one another. Well, can we love one another from afar? Yeah, we can do that. There's ways we can do that. But you can love one another more fully when you are together. Romans 12, verse 15, or excuse me, verse 16, talks about living in harmony with one another. Hey, if we're all separated and disconnected, well, we don't have to even worry about living in harmony. We're not even together. Romans 15, verse 7, talks about welcoming one another. That talks about the idea of inviting someone, bringing them in, drawing them in. There's those passages that talk about greeting one another with a holy kiss. That idea of an embrace and pulling one another, pulling to the core. I'll just say very clearly, you cannot do that virtually. You cannot do that from afar. You cannot do that through technology. Romans chapter 15 and in verse 14 talks about instructing one another. Galatians 5 verse 13 says, Through love we are to serve one another. Again, we can serve each other in some far off, distant sorts of ways, but I'll say once more, you can't do that in the fullest, truest sense without that face-to-face, one-on-one connection. Galatians 6 verse 2 talks about bearing one another's burdens. What if somebody comes forward this evening during the invitation song? and needs their brothers and sisters to help bear their burdens. Well, the folks who are here, we're going to be able to help bear those burdens in that moment. But the other brothers and sisters who are not here, well, maybe be able to do that later, do that from afar in some way, but again, it's not the same thing. Ephesians 5 talks about addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You absolutely cannot do that when you are separated from your brothers and your sisters in Christ. Ephesians 5 goes on to talk about submitting to one another out of reverence for Jesus Christ. That requires us being together in order to effectuate and carry out those commands. In fact, the verse that often gets thrown up when we talk about the idea of being together is that famous passage in Hebrews chapter 10. You know the verse I'm talking about. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. In Hebrews chapter 10 and in verse 25, there were some people in the first century 
that the Hebrew writer had to write to and to tell them and to encourage them and to let them know, hey guys, you're just shirking on this idea of being together and getting together. And so he says in Hebrews 10 and in verse 25, he says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now we often kind of just simplify that verse to say, you need to come to church. And if you're not coming to church, then you're disobeying the Lord. But what we fail to say is why that command is given. Why is Hebrews 10.25 in there? It's in there because of what's said on the verse on top of it. Verse 24, Hebrews 10.24, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works. And one of the ways that you do that, the writer says, is by not neglecting to meet Together. Technology enables us to be together in the virtual sense where we, we feel some measure of connection. I remember the very first Wednesday night when we had to do the live stream and everybody was putting their comments in the comment section and saying hello and we hadn't seen each other in several days and it was kind of, well, it was heartwarming. I, I felt a, a measure of connectedness that night even as I sat isolated in my office staring at a screen. It was better than nothing. It's not the same. It's not the same as being with one another physically, in person, where I see you and you see me. And we see each other and we are stirring each other up to love and to good works. That's a far cry different. I want to notice a passage in 2 John chapter 1. This is the passage that for many months has been just at the top of my mind. I cannot stop thinking about this passage. You may think, wow, I really never even noticed this verse before. This just seems like kind of one of those verses that you just kind of run right by at the end of an epistle as one of the apostles is kind of wrapping up the letter. But you think about this verse, and as we think about technology today, in 2 John chapter 1, and in verse 12, John says, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. I want you to notice that John is alluding to the fact that, yeah, there is a technology that is available to me right now, and that is this epistle, this letter system, this mailing system where I can communicate with you from afar. And John says, that's good. In fact, he's made use of that by sending this letter. But John says, I don't want to keep doing that. I don't want that to be the sum total of my relationship with you folks. So he then says, instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. Do you see what John says? John says, yeah, this, this technology, this kind of distant communication, hey, it's pretty good. It provides me some joy. But the only way I'm going to be truly fulfilled The only way we can know full joy, the fullness of the relationship of who and what we are in Christ Jesus is when we are face to face, person to person. In fact, he says it again in the third letter, in the third epistle, in 3 John chapter 1 once again. Look at verse 14. He says there, I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. This just is not good enough. 
Again, thankful for the technology that makes it possible for us to reach one another. But it is not ideal. It is not what the Lord wants. It is not the fullness of the joy of the relationship that we have in Jesus Christ. You know, anytime you start talking about religion and technology, probably the first religious group that immediately comes to people's minds are the Amish. I kind of said in passing something about the Amish this morning, so I'll say something again about the Amish. The Amish are kind of notorious for, at least in our minds, we just think they are anti-technology because we believe that they believe that technology is sinful. We say things, for example, like the reason that they don't drive cars is because they think cars are sinful. Actually, that's not true. Did you know that? The reason that the Amish do not drive automobiles and the reason instead that they drive horse and buggies is because they believe that automobiles make things too convenient for people in their community to decide to just get up and leave the community. And it would be. Just pull my keys out. Just crank the engine. I can just go and I'll be out of here. I don't have to be a part of this community anymore. I can be out of town in just a matter of minutes. But the horse and buggy... Yeah, it kind of makes that a little harder. Got to get the horse all saddled up. Got to get the buggy attached. Got to get in. There's lots of delay and lag time there. That's the reason that they drive the horse in the buggy. Because they want to keep their community together. You and I have great technology that is available to us today. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for these past several months how it has enabled us to be connected, to communicate, to stay in touch, and to help one another, and to try to carry out and do the things that we ought to do as Christians and as a local body of believers. But I do fear that that very same technology, it can be used as a tool of the devil to cause this community to not be together and to not be connected as we truly ought to be face-to-face, in person. Each one of us is going to have to decide, we're going to have to search within ourselves and within our own hearts and within our own lives and our own circumstances to figure out what we can do to be able to be brothers and sisters in the Lord and to be the body of Christ as Jesus would have it. And along the way, yeah, make use of some technology sorts of things so that we can know the benefits of that relationship here, and we can then broadcast that abroad and let other people know about the benefits of being a part of this family. But we and I need to be determined that we're not going to allow the devil to take what can be a good thing and twist it into something that is a bad thing. Can we pray about that? This seems like a kind of a down note to end on, but I think this is a place where we need to go to God in prayer. Would you pray with me, please? Our dear gracious God and our Father in heaven, Father, we come before you this evening thankful to you, first of all, for all the many ways in which you bless us and take care of us and provide for us. We thank you, Lord, for your innovation and your ingenuity in creating us and creating the human brain and all of the capabilities that it has that makes all the technologies that we enjoy in this world, those luxuries that we have that makes life 
a little easier, a little more comfortable, makes things more efficient. We're thankful for that, Father. We're thankful during especially these last few months how it's helped us and it's helped to kind of fill in some of those gaps uh, as we've tried to, to be your people as the best way that we possibly know how. Father, help us to use those things in the right way. Help us to make use of them and being able to reach the lost and being able to share your word far and abroad and be able to touch as many people as possible with the saving message of your gospel. Father, we come confessing, though, that we realize that there are great dangers with technology and that those sometimes can be abused, and maybe we ourselves are guilty of abusing those things. Forgive us, Father. Father, we're asking you to build within us a greater desire and a hunger for what it is to be a family, to be of one another, and all the responsibilities that go along with being of one another. Help us, Father, to fulfill those in the fullest sense. Help us to truly be the body of Christ. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus that has, through His blood that has brought all of us to, together and to be part of your family and that provides and affords for us a hope of a home in heaven someday. We thank you for Him. We love you. We love Him. And we look forward to being with you someday around your throne. And We ask these blessings and we ask these favors in the name of Jesus. And amen.